Good morning. So we're in the season of Lent leading up to the death and resurrection of Jesus. Um, and in a podcast that I've been listening to lately from Kate Beller called Everything Happens, she describes Lent as a wonderful, terrible time in the church. Um, that it's a time to say, God, this is how it is, isn't it? And we've been talking about how as we move through this pandemic, we will be different afterwards. There isn't really an option to go back to the way that things were. We can only move forward. And at the start of the pandemic a year ago, I was hesitant to lean into this idea of a new normal. But the longer it's been, the more I've accepted that we will inevitably be changed when things start to feel more normal again. Last week, Kyle talked about the story of some followers of Jesus walking on the road to Emmaus after the crucifixion. A resurrected Jesus meets them on the road and the disciples don't recognize him. After resurrection, Jesus was different. Even Jesus cannot make it through suffering without being changed. And it is in um, when Jesus sat with them and shared a meal with them and spent time in community, this is when they realize who he is. And we start to see that resurrection is not a return to what was, but an embrace of what is and a hope of what is to come. In another story in the Gospels, in the book of John, Jesus appears to the disciples while they are gathered. He greets them with peace be with you and then shows them his wounded hands inside. This is how the disciples identify that it is truly him and they are overjoyed. But one of the disciples, Thomas, was not present at this party. The story doesn't tell us why, um, but it does tell us that he expresses doubt that Jesus is alive. And rightfully so. This is a really human response. He asks for proof. Thomas says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails are and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And it's here we get the phrase, uh, doubting Thomas, but how human it is. And when Jesus is with him next, he invites Thomas to embrace the wounds. Put your finger in my wounded hands, reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And this isn't a scolding for his doubts. It's a recognition of Thomas's pain and wrestling. It's an invitation to know Jesus through woundedness. And as I reflect on this story, um, I came across a blog from an Irish Jesuit priest. Um, he talks about renaming Thomas from a doubting Thomas to Thomas of the wounds. He writes that since the wounds of Jesus become glorious wounds, this can help us to see that even, in our, even if our wounds don't go away, they can nonetheless become a source of hope. I love this. And I think it captures more clearly Thomas's journey of embracing Jesus's identity as a savior with scars. Even in being transformed, Jesus's wounds remain. And in this ongoing pandemic, I'm not sure how we could claim a Jesus that isn't wounded. As counterintuitive as it seems, in the soil of woundedness, hope can grow. In a particular episode of the podcast I mentioned, Everything Happens, um, Kate has a conversation with Father Greg Boyle, and he talks about how sidestepping our healing ends up prolonging the pain. 
And it's not always with negative things either that we try to avoid recognizing our wounds. We can run from wounds by pouring our energy into helping others, focusing on productivity, pursuing education. But ultimately he says, you want to make friends with your wound. Otherwise you're going to be tempted to despise the wounded, both outside yourself and within yourself. And I don't think knowing any of this really makes our own journey of embracing our pain any easier, but I define comfort in knowing that Jesus knows suffering and wounds firsthand. And there are different layers for each of us in understanding the pain that we carry. Some wounds may be longstanding in your life, things you've carried for years and have been living with for a long time. Other wounds may have appeared more recently or during the pandemic, living in uncertainty, fear, and grief. I think we're also navigating a collective loss in this season. There are wounds that we are carrying together because of the nature of the pandemic that we will need to continue to work through. Beyond the pandemic, there will continue to be illness and injustice that demands our attention. Things will continue to be not as they should be. In my own experience, depression and depressive episodes have felt like a wounded place that's been tender for a while now. And as I've done significant work, a lot of it in therapy, there are still days I fall back on old habits of wanting to pretend like it doesn't exist. Wanting to invalidate my own experiences with anxiety and resorting to having less self-compassion. It's become an active choice to keep going, to not ignore the pain and to lean into the wounded places. As one of our favorites, Brené Brown says, we cannot selectively numb emotion. If we numb the dark, we numb the light. If we take the edge off pain and discomfort, we are by default taking the edge off joy, love, belonging, and the other emotions that give meaning to our lives. After having a C-section this summer, I have learned more clearly that scars themselves can be painful. I used to think of them as a physical reminder of past wounds, but scar tissue itself can cause a lot of pain. And when we leave that scar tissue alone, when we don't do anything about it, the pain only increases. What does it mean for us to work with the scar tissue, to not leave it untouched, but to acknowledge its ongoing impact on our lives. And there isn't a set course for embracing woundedness because healing isn't linear. But I wanted to provide some guideposts that I think might be helpful in this season of Lent to move from a theoretical or idealized space, this concept of embracing woundedness into practical ways of working through wounds. And while we talk about this, um, I would love to hear or to see in the chat if there's anything for you that's been particularly helpful in working through some of these wounds and embracing them um, so that we can crowdsource some helpful ideas with one another. So if anything comes to mind that has helped you, feel free to put those in the chat. So first up, um, we have the concept of naming. And this is the first conscious step to acknowledge wounds instead of ignoring them, of starting to work with the scar tissue. 
If there are forms of processing that have helped with you, um, like creativity or writing, thinking things through while exercising, this can be a really good starting place. Finding something that's already be, been helpful and using that to work through some of the pain. In the story of Thomas, his doubt doesn't come from nowhere. I can imagine that in the wake of Jesus's lynching, he was wrestling with grief and anger and sorrow underneath the doubt he expresses. Naming can involve unearthing some of these painful feelings and it's not comfortable, but it's necessary. And then we have talking about it. We can bring in trusted voices and in in understanding our wounds. I have found therapy and spiritual direction super helpful in this process. This step can be a scary one, but it's important in moving forward. And if you need help um, accessing therapy or having any resources with that, please feel free to reach out. We would love to connect you and help you begin that process. In Thomas's story, there is space between when Thomas expresses his doubt and when Jesus invites him to touch his wounds. So who knows, maybe Thomas went to therapy during that time. Speaking the pain can draw us into acceptance of its presence. We can also lean into community. Andy and I were talking last night about how critical community has been for both of us in processing places of pain. The reality is community may not feel fully safe, especially in processing wounds. I've experienced that in some circles, vulnerability is put on this pedestal, it's glorified. And I think it can come at the expense of people not carrying our stories well, of us sharing information that maybe we're not ready to share. Um, and it can be an even more painful experience when this happens. So it's really important to trust your gut here, trust your level of comfort, while also being willing to step into discomfort. As we move into community, empathy and understanding can be important in knowing that you're not alone. Small groups, prayer groups, and leaning on support systems of friends can be really helpful here. And then um, the final step is embracing. Though these wounds impact your life, your pain and your wounds are not your full identity. There's an invitation to lean into the both and here instead of either or. You can be both hurting and healing, struggling and hopeful, suffering and resilient. We can move toward integrating our suffering into our current experiences. And we're going to revisit this idea in March. Thomas is not only his doubts. Jesus acknowledges that they are there, but he also invites Thomas to move forward in order to live a more full life. Allison, I'd love to hear if there's anything in the chat that people have found helpful in this process of embracing wounds, or if you yourself have any thoughts on something that's been helpful for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, first, I wanna share a book recommendation that we got from Alicia. Um, the book is called Forgiving What You Can't Forget by, ooh, I don't know if I can say this author's last name, Lisa Turkhurst, perhaps? Um, so that sounds like a good um, book recommendation on this process of dealing with wounds. Um, some practices that people have shared are um, bullet journaling and doodling. 
Um, and then I also share just long bike rides um, and walks with my dog. Um, so just kind of those ideas of spaces where you can kind of empty your mind out and just process. Um, that's what we've gotten so far. I love that. Um, I'll definitely have to check that book out. I hadn't heard of that one before. And I think that there's something too that because um, embracing our wounds is such an embodied experience that things like biking or walking or hiking, things like that can really um, enhance our understanding and give us space just to allow your mind to wander, um, to pay attention to how you're feeling and to be able to uh, move toward a direction of fully embracing those wounds. Um, and often this is a helpful step ongoing, but before you are able to bring that into community, to bring that to a trusted person in your life and to explore that more deeply. So when we return to the story, um, when Thomas sees Jesus, who is transformed by resurrection, but still has wounds, he's able to move toward embracing woundedness. He moves from being a doubting Thomas to a Thomas of the wounds. And I wonder what it would look like to use Lent as a time of exploring what it means to be a people of the wounds, that we can name and speak our places of pain, we can welcome community in that process and we can start to accept that while woundedness is inevitable, it is not our full identity. And Jesus is present with us as we do this work. So I'm going to lead us in a guided prayer exercise today. As I pray for us, I want you to pay attention to how your body feels. This is an exercise I found helpful in tuning into my embodied experience and accepting where I'm at day to day. First, I'll invite you to tune into where you feel tension. For me, anxiety usually sits in my chest and I feel stress and tension in my shoulders and neck. The goal here isn't judging those feelings um, or that they're there, but accepting that you are carrying them in your body. And then we'll move into um, paying attention to where we are carrying hope. For me, the sensation is different day to day. Sometimes it feels absent altogether. Sometimes I notice it in my feet being planted on the floor or looking upwards. So as we pray and as you head into the week ahead, this is an invitation to know that hope and pain are not opposites. They can both take up residence in your body at the same time. And the journey of embracing woundedness is not absent of hope. So as best you can, um, if you're able to take a moment to settle into stillness and focus on taking a few deep breaths now. Scan your body and notice how you are feeling this morning. Where are you carrying the tension? Are you holding any stress? Is there any physical pain present?
As you notice the tension, acknowledge that it is there. And if you are able, accept that it is there for a reason. If you are able, think of what you may need today to help alleviate this tension. If you are able, hold this space with gratitude. And now scan your body and notice may, where you may be feeling hope. Is it present? Is it rising up within you? If you are able, think of what you may need today to contribute to this hope. Hold this space with gratitude. I'll give us a few moments here to just stay in this quiet place, to sit in the silence, and then we'll pray. Wounded healer, I'm grateful that you are a God that knows the human experience of pain. And I'm grateful that we have a savior that has nail marks in his hands and wounds in his side. That our pain and our wounds don't just come from nowhere, but they're also not there to teach us a lesson or to help us to grow. There are things that we can mourn, that we can process, that we can work toward embracing that this process can help us, um, help us in our empathy for others, help us in the things that we are drawn to, the way that we can pursue the kingdom of God, the way that we can actively engage in humanizing those around us. In the process of res resurrection, God, we are changed. And yet it takes work to acknowledge our own wounds and begin to work alongside of them. Would you sustain us and guide us in this process? May we not let the scar tissue build up, but may we begin the work or continue the work now. May there be comfort in knowing that you are with us and that out of the pain, hope can grow. Amen.